Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carbett, your host, and once again with me is none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing really good, Mark. It's Super Bowl week. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. What's Super Bowl got to do with baseball, man? Well, nothing really, but it's always a great time of year. Oh, it is. It really is. I know. I'm giving, I'm giving you a little grief, but uh, for folks who don't know, we both live in Tampa, so Super Bowl this week means a lot for uh, us Tampanians. It's going to be a fun time, and we're going to talk about the excitement that's going on in baseball overall, and maybe even find a way to link up to Super Bowl with what we're talking about. So, Brandon, you can always find at sportsblitz.pod. No, no, no. It's sportsblitzpod on Twitter. And you can find me, yeah, at, at the baseball biz on Twitter. So we look forward to that. And of course, you can find this at several different podcast directories like Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and several other ones I'm not thinking of at the moment. <laughs> we'll add some of those in there, maybe. Anyway, the thing of it is, it is an exciting week. It's just a few mere weeks before the season begins. And Brandon, what's cooking on the hot stove? Well, it's still cooking pretty good. We've had pretty much big signings every day. We'll start up in Minnesota, where Nelson Cruz, he signed a one-year $13 million deal with the Twins. Last year, he was sixth in MVP voting, hit three hundred three with 16 homers. The Blue Jays, they reached a minor league deal with pitcher Francisco Liriano. He was with Toronto in 2016 and half of 2017. But he did not pitch for them, or he did not pitch at all in 2020. Then somebody who had a big day, other than Punxsutawney Phil yesterday, was Chris Archer, who, despite battling injury and pretty much struggling the past two and a half years, roughly, signed a one-year, six and a half million dollar deal with the Rays, where he spent seven and a half years, was a two-time All-Star, and he was traded in 2018 to Pittsburgh. For Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows, and Shane Boz. Wow. And, you know, I remember as a Rays fan, uh, a lot of people loved Chris Archer. They loved Evan Longoria. And some of these people, you say, okay, they're a legacy player, and, and I want to see them stick around. Unfortunately, Chris at that point was kind of waning. It wasn't the best of his career. He'd probably, you wondered if he had peaked at that point. And that trade was just crazy stupid. I mean, the guys that we got for it, I'm saying, well, who the hell is Tyler Glass now? Who's this Austin Meadows guys? Because they weren't necessarily performing at, the, at their level that you would think. But, man, they were a heck of a good payoff in a long term, or actually in the next couple of years for the race. So, Chris, we hated to see him go. And now we got him back. We got a legacy player. Yeah, he was a guy who he had, you know, two really good years here. And then he kind of tapered off the last couple of years. And even though his record doesn't show that he was really good, he was really good because that was a time where the Rays were, they were not very good. They were not up to what they were today. Then he got traded, he struggled really much the whole time in Pittsburgh. And he didn't pitch at all last year because he had surgery to relieve thoracic outlet syndrome. And you don't know what that is. It's basically a blood clot, a blood clot in your shoulder. And it comes a lot in athletes where they're raising their arms above their shoulders a lot. So pitchers get it a lot. And hockey players get a lot, too, when they do slap shots because they have to raise it up, their arms up so high. And Tampa Bay fans know plenty of that because Steven Stamkos of the Lightning, he had to get surgery late in the year for having a blood clot. And he missed 
pretty much the whole playoffs and only played the last game of the year where they were eliminated. So we have plenty of experiment experience with our athletes having thoracic outlet syndrome. Well, and I was reading some, you know, I know, and it's, it's good to see, you know, people like Stamkos, et cetera, come back from this. It's, it's uh, heartening. It may be Chris will come back as well. I was reading some reports where he's been doing some pitch with some folks down here in Florida and you know, people, people feel like he was doing pretty good with it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And maybe we have something good coming here, but what was it? I was looking at 2021. They had the option, the pirates for a contract ex- extension with him for, they were looking at, I think about $11 million. So, wow, that's, that's a significant difference for Chris going from that to a six and a half million dollar deal. But I'm, I'm, as much as I have some uneasiness about this, I think that when he comes back, maybe with that surgery and maybe with the Rays pitching coach, Kyle Snyder, they can make a real difference for him. Plus the other thing, maybe it's you're seeing with Chris in the past, maybe he didn't have the hitters that we hope that we have this year with the Rays. Yeah, we've said it many times, you know, maybe he was a guy that he kind of wore out his welcome, it felt like, near the end. And, of course, he was a younger guy then. Maybe it's because he's older. He's gone through some rougher times. He's probably matured a bit more. So, and hopefully with the more talent around him in the organization, he can be he can be a, a really key guy going forward because we don't really have a whole lot of starting pitchers, so we can use all the help we can get. No doubt. And no doubt. So, you know, best wishes to Chris and the Rays for this. And there's a, there's a lot more cooking, too. And, Brandon, what else you got the Mets, they made a, another trade as they traded minor league infielder Federico Polanco to the Marlins for starting pitcher Jordan Yamamoto, who has struggled a bit with the Marlins, but the Mets see him as a death piece going forward with their rotation. Sean Doolittle, he agrees to a deal with the Reds, and he's 34, and he pitched only seven and two-thirds innings last year, and he has a career 307 ERA. Another former Ray is on the move as Baltimore traded Alex Cobb to the Angels for second baseman Jemai Jones, who was the seventh-ranked prospect in the Angels system, and, Bal- er, and Baltimore will also pay half of Cobb's $15 million salary this year. Wow. The Phillies and Didi Gregorius, they agreed to a two-year $28 million deal. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> Another... <laughs> Another former Ray is back on is back with the team as Steven Souza Jr. signed a minor league deal with the Astros. He had 30 homers with the Rays in 2017, but he battled injuries in 18 and 19 and appeared in only 11 games last year with the Cubs. Then the big news of the past week, Nolan Arenado, one of the best players in baseball, was traded to the Cardinals with Colorado paying 50 million of the 199 million that he is owed. And according to SI.com, Colorado won't receive any of their top prospects from St. Louis, including the number one prospect, which is third baseman Nolan Gorman, and 2020 first-round pick Jordan Walker. Instead, they acquired lefty Austin Gumber, who has a 186 ERA and four starts in 2020, and he is the only one that they received with Major League experience. They also received prospects infielder Ellie Harris Montero, which was he was the number seventh prospect in the Cardinals organization before breaking his hand, which set him back last year. 
infielder Mateo Gill, right-handed pitcher Tony Losi, and righty Jake Summers. There's a lot of activity there, eh? Yeah, and it's amazing. They they wanted to get more you know, quantity or quality from everything I've seen, the people that ranked it. And it's kind of crazy how the Orioles got a better return for Alex Cobb, who is a pretty good pitcher that we've seen with the Rays, and he wasn't that great with the Orioles. Of course, they, we didn't get to see him as much. Then the Rockies did for Nolan Arenado, who is arguably a top five player in all of baseball. Wow. Going back to the stove, Eddie Rosario signs a one-year deal with the Indians. He had 32 homers and 109 RBIs in 2019 with the Twins, and he was placed on outright waivers and went unclaimed this offseason. And the Cubs and Jock Peterson agreed to a one-year $7 million deal. And last year, he hit 197 home runs and 121 at-bats in 2020. But in 2019, he hit a career-high 36 homers. And he is expected to play every day and is best known for saying after striking out, he yelled, and I'm paraphrasing, effing gosh dog it, bleh. <laughs> gosh. Aaron Luke, a former Ray, he signed with the Mets. And last year he had a 2.52 ERA in 25 innings. Masahiro Tanaka is returning to Japan with the Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles of the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Zach Scott is named the acting general manager of the baseball Let me stop there for a second on, on Tanaka. I mean, that's a guy, personally, you know, he, he's gotten a little older in the game. He's been a, kind of a legend to some degree with the Yankees. But, um, you know, I didn't like him because I was going to see him hit my guy, Joey Wendell, last year, which it's like, you know, here he is pitching for the Yankees. And while he's going back to an old home team, I guess, in Japan, there was a lot of brumblings out there, too, I I saw, Brandon, about that he was kind of waiting for something to come back from the Yankees and maybe a couple of other teams. I don't think that's going to happen now. But the, the story where at first I was hearing, oh, he's looking forward to going back to Japan, et cetera. I, while I think that's valid, it sounded like if somebody put a little bit more money on the table, he certainly would have considered staying here. Yeah, he's a guy where, you know, I don't think he's, you know, a top of the line ace, one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think he's, you know, a guy who can be a number one pitcher, definitely a really, really good number two pitcher who, honestly, I would love to have on my team because from what we've seen him in his what, seven years he played here, he never really went through a time where he struggled, where people were just, like, mashing his pitches. Right. You know, he started off really hot, but then he kind of cooled down. But he was always consistent. Like, he never he never hurt the team, I felt like. Well, that means a lot. And, and I, I, too, I, I saw him as still seeing value for a lot of teams. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would have, that could have taken him on and maybe, I, I don't know what his money he was asking, but uh, I, I hate to see him go. You know, I wish him well back in Japan, but, and going back to his old home team there with the Golden Eagles. But uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. See you later, Tanaka. All right. Staying in New York, Zach Scott, he was named the acting, acting GM of the Mets. He has not been given the official title. He's still considered interim, but if all goes well, he could be considered the favorite to be permanent GM. 
either later this season or in the calendar year. Off the field, more big news as Fernando Tatis Jr. was named the cover athlete of MLB 21 The Show. And at 22, he is the youngest to ever be on the cover, and it features him doing a bat flip on it. So that definitely something worth worth getting if you love video games, which the show I think is a great video game to play. You know, I haven't played it in many years. And lastly, Dustin Pedroia announces his retirement after 14 years in baseball. Great achievement and great player, and thank you for all you've done with the game. I'd say, yeah, Pedroia, even though he was with the Red Sox, he was always one of my favorite infielders to watch. And, you know, even though the ending of his career wasn't the greatest, of course, with his injuries, I believe he said he couldn't run with the injuries he has now. So he had to hang him up. But I think definitely one day he'll be in Cooperstown. Yeah, I think we'd all like to see that. So uh, that's a good point. And, And coming back to Tatis for a moment, a young guy with the Padres, I mean, he's just, he's exciting. And so I'm not completely surprised to see him on the cover of the MLB 21, the show. But I saw that uh, yesterday he got another honor, if you want to call it that. And he's going to be card number one in the top's latest series for your baseball cards out there. I mean, but taking a look back there again, as you were saying, with Zach Scott becoming the acting GM of the Mets. That's not surprising because they had to. And players, much like, uh, I should say, office personnel, office management, much like players, there are deadlines. And I don't know that these are written down in stone, but basically you're not supposed to go, you're, you're not supposed to be out there copying office person from another team during this point of the year because it would just be bedlam. Can you imagine if halfway through the season or just before opening day, you're getting another general manager. And the only reason the Mets had to do this was because Mr. Porter was Mr. Porter and did bad things and had to be removed. And it's not like they're getting somebody who is just like a, you know, a numbers cruncher from everything I've seen. He played, he was really key in all their decisions that they've made so far this off season. And of course, being with the Red Sox, he does have, championship experience and he's good with both analytics and has a background in scouting so it's not like they're getting somebody who is just being thrown out there they don't really know what they're doing this is a guy who you know maybe one day would be a gm but he just got it a little bit quicker because of circumstances yeah and and we'll give a little bit more look at him just a little and further in the show here but yeah he's he's making a difference he's got a history i like you believe he, that he may very well be the permanent GM probably before the end of the season. Oh, my gosh. Mets, 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 Mets. This has been an exciting offseason to watch what's going on there. And, you know, everything from change in ownership to who's being brought in, the money being spent, a lot of this started with the change in ownership. Kind of talking about the front office, it was the Wilpon that owned the Mets. There's some decisions that were made early on before Steve Cohen, the new owner, came on that really had a negative impact. And I'm looking here at an article from Joe Nacera and see from uh, Bloomberg. He says, Fred Wilpon was duped by Bernie Madoff, lost millions of dollars afterward, and piled up debt. His reward, $2.45 billion. 
That's what uh, I guess he got for the Mets. And if you're looking at this, seeing time and time again, this poor soul had invested with Mr. Madoff, the criminal. It's uh, revelation of Madoff had been running a decades-long fraud, was a disaster for Wilpon. $500 million, I guess, he had given to him was gone. There's a lot of lawsuits that went on. He goes on to say, you know, that, that there was money that was taken. Um, let's see, Stafford Mets took an emergency $25 million loan from Major League Baseball under the Wilpons. And the following year, the team borrowed $40 million from the Bank of America. It's Wilpon and sold some of his stock. Anyway, time after time after time, this poor son of a gun made a lot, made some bad decisions. So a lot of debt piled up. So it wasn't surprising that uh, somebody like Steve Cohen, who was a longtime Mets fan, not just an investor, came in and, and picked this team up. Yeah, I remember earlier, you know, just a couple months ago, we were practically, as I was saying, drinking Cohen's bathwater. We were really big fans of the move and everything he was bringing to the bringing to the Mets. And I don't know whose stock has been through a, a crazier, who's gone through crazier roller coasters the past month, either the Mets or the GameStop. I don't know, but the Mets always seem to, their fans are saying on Twitter, Mets gonna Met. I mean, they have. it looks like everything's turning around and then, you know, coming back with you know, hedge funds, they're losing monies and, Hell yeah, all these disgusting things going on with their GM. And it's been a heck of a roller coaster for Mets fans. Yeah. And Steve Cohen, I'm not trying to throw any blame at that man because he's a businessman who makes the decisions. And far be it for me to even begin to fathom what he has to do. But I was looking to something from uh, Market Watch. Evidently, he had some difficulties earlier on in his career. He had some staff, some employees. Uh, who were working in marketing funds, and they were found guilty of insider trading. Cohen says here was, he wasn't uh, found guilty and all that, but unfortunately his company was basically saying, sorry, you can't do any trading for a couple of years. So he came back, and he was doing real well. And, you know, the, the, but what happened is one of the affiliations or somebody, he, another fund he'd been working with was uh, the Melvin Capital. And Brandon, those are the guys that have been tied up in all this GameStop thing. They were looking for help. So he gave them some help, and they've given them $750 million. So once Steve Cohen did that, he put a big target on his back, unfortunately. I should say somebody put a big target on his back. Twitter and people who were going to go crazy were nuts. One of those was the station SNY TV. Now, if you didn't know, SNYTV is basically like the Mets TV channel. Well, you think, well, they'd be friendly with Cohen. But by the way, they were, they're still owned by Wilpon, the former Mets owner. And I'm not saying that impacted anything, okay? I, don't, I feel that they probably felt like they could say whatever the heck they wanted to do. And in Twitter, SNY posted, so he lost a bunch of money in a classic. This is the SNY quote. So he lost a bunch of money in a classic short squeeze. That's a stock market thing. You you wouldn't understand, so we all started harassing him on Twitter. And then we started harassing his family online, too. And he had to delete his Twitter. One, that is reprehensible behavior. Two, it sounds like they're enjoying it and just making fun of the whole damn thing. Pardon me. And, and that's that just sticks in my crawl. Whatever you may think of Steve Cohen and his business practices, to be attacking him and and his family on Twitter with something like this 
to me, is completely reprehensible. Through all this nastiness, you know, Cohen doesn't want to have to deal with this crap anymore. So he winds up putting a statement out there. Let's see, I'll read some of it here. I really enjoyed the back and forth with Mets fans on Twitter, which was unfortunately overtaken this week by misinformation unrelated to the Mets that led to our family getting personal threats, Cohen said in a statement after deactivating his account Friday night. So I'm going to take a break for now, he says. We have other ways to listen to your suggestions and remain committed to doing that. I love our team, this community, and our fans who are the best in baseball. Bottom line is that this week's events in no way affect our resources and drive to put a championship team on the field. Well, you know, shortly after that, SNYs, I guess, for their behavior, and they decided to post something out there saying, Earlier tonight, SNY posted a tweet that made light of the harassment Steve Cohen and his family received this past week. We apologize for the error in judgment. Okay, one. You talk about one of the most limp limp excuses. I'm I'm editing myself here before I say what else I want to say. Well, you know, <laughs> one of the most limp excuses to say one, we apologize for the error in judgment. And then again, prior to that, they're saying, uh, SNY posted a tweet that made light of the harassment Steve Cohen and his family received this past week. Okay, the harassment that he and his family received this past week doesn't sound like it was just all their fault for bringing this in. You know? It's one of those half-baked apologies. I'm sad and saddened that in an, it was unfortunate that people abuse their opportunity on social media. You know, whatever you may think of Stephen Cohen, I think his and what he's, his commitment to the team and uh, any abuse that his family got, that's just was ridiculous because his commitment is there. Yeah, and you can think whatever you want of Cohen. I don't really follow Wall Street stuff, so I don't know everything about his past. And people can think he's a great guy. People can think he's a horrible guy. But just leave the family out of it because more often than not, the families have nothing to do with, you know, their businesses, so they shouldn't be brought into it. And the original SNY tweet, honest to God, when I first read it, it sounded like they meant to put it on like a burner account, not their official account. That's honestly what it looked like they were trying to do, but they forgot to switch accounts and they put it on the the main one. Well, let's hear it for social media, media idiocy. Come on, people, wake up and do it right. Don't. There's no need to be attacking people here, and you know, and even the people that are doing, it, you know, I don't want to say don't be so stupid. I just assume they say stay stupid, and we can see their ignorance out there in full view. But, eh, you know, I'm, I don't know, brother. I'm just, I tend to get a little, little anxious and upset about all that, but. They're, they're going to have to do what they're going to do. And and the Mets have been f- through a few things. I mean, we talked about Porter, and we talked about uh, Zach Scott. He He's made some fantastic decisions. So, Mets fans, one, let me say I'm with you, and I'm looking forward to everything that's going on. And Zach Scott, you gave us a little bit of history about him. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the changes, some of the additions he's made to this team? Yeah, he helped bring in the big trade this offseason that the Mets made was Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. He played a big part in that. He helps re-sign Noah Syndergaard to a one-year deal. And in January of 21, they made 45 changes. Good, good. Which, good gravy. <laughs> I mean, 
I've never really counted, but I think that's more than some teams make in an entire season, and they did it in a month. And that included arbitration and claiming pitcher Stephen Tarpley, who had been put on waivers by Miami. And in those 45 changes, that included a total of 28 free agents. And as I mentioned earlier, he played a part in the trade for righty Jordan Yamamoto. And that's going to be interesting to see Yamamoto playing too. But and you look across everybody on there. What you see, you got uh, Degrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Peterson. Uh, see Joey Lucchese, and uh, man, it's it's going to be an interesting rotation coming out there with, with this entire team. They got all that with Yamamoto as well. It's it's going to be exciting time for the Mets. And kudos to all you guys. And um, my again sympathies to Mr. Cohen and his family. And I'm sorry you guys had to put up a lot of crap. Yeah, hopefully this season they do really good because, I mean, the top three of their pitching staff already looks pretty strong, but whenever Syndergaard comes back and if he returns to form, could you imagine they could have four of the best pitchers, not just in the NL, but possibly in baseball? They and the Padres are are very exciting to me for this upcoming season. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Um, You know, like I said, the Mets had their troubles with Porter. They had to toss him out. And this nastiness with SNY. And then you look to the past, they had Mickey Calloway. You know, he's been accused of indecent behavior and all that still being sorted out. So the Mets have had some interesting times this past month and this past season. I want to take a look, too, at some other front office actions and moves here on Baseball Biz. And again, you can find Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod and myself, Mark, at The Baseball Biz on Twitter. But we want to take a look at what's happening on here with front office and a couple of things. One, MLB and the Players Association have kind of bit across purposes, you would think. But this is what what kills me. I'm still not completely understanding, Brandon. We're talking about two organizations that agree on maybe a 154-game season, and there's been tentative agreement, I think, on designated hitter for the National League – I think there should be some continuity on there, so I'm glad to see that. But it sounded like the major sticking point, as far as I could tell, was the playoffs. I think MLBPA, the Players Association, wasn't necessarily really crazy about the whole idea of one more layer inside there. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's see. Uh, They got a statement they put out. This is from the Major League Baseball Players Association. If you want it, it's online. Go on to MLBplayers.com. You can find it there. Basically, you know, they were they kind of said something of what I did. Uh, let's see. Uh, the MLBPA Executive Board and Player Leadership reviewed and discussed the owner's proposal throughout the weekend and today. The clear-cut result of these deliberations is that players will not accept MLB's proposal, will instead continue preparations for an on-time start to 2021 and will accept MLB's commitment to again direct its clubs to prepare for an on-time start. We do not make this decision lightly. Players know firsthand the efforts that were required to complete the abbreviated 2020 season, and we appreciate that significant challenges lie ahead. We look forward to promptly finalizing enhanced health and safety protocols that will help players and clubs meet these challenges. So... Still, there's still some sticking points, but they're ready to go move ahead with the season with what they have right now. Yeah, the 154-game season, I mean, 
that would be fine with me. I've been a big proponent of saying the season should be shorter anyways. I agree with the big thing being not expanding the playoffs because that not only takes away the importance of what is already a, honestly, if we're all honest, a boring regular season, it makes it even less important. And I also heard the point that if more teams make the playoffs, then it'll hurt free agency because teams will be less willing to go out and spend top dollar for top talent because they'll be thinking, hey, if I can sneak in at 500, we just need to put together an average team. We don't need to be the best we can and we get all that playoff money. Yeah, that's I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. That's very true. Um, I could see why that would certainly be a, a blessing, if you will, for the owners if they got that. It's uh, I don't know. We're going to see how it plays out. I, I feel like MLB has asked a lot of the fans and of the players, and they crab foul so much, but I hope that they're able to come into an, a, a decent agreement with the players that doesn't seem like they're always so greedy. And, it, and quite often that's the way it does seem with MLB. So sorry, Rhett, they're Marab Manfred, but uh, I hope you guys can get together with Tony Clark and make this all come together. Yeah, they're, they're going to need to work on their uh, compromising because the CBA comes to an end here in a few months. And, the way they're going, I think we're not going to have a full season again next year, if we even have a season. That's right, folks. And Brandon, those of you who don't know, the CBA is the collective bargaining agreement. That is the contract between the Players Association and Major League Baseball that guides them and says, basically, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> if you don't come together on that, we may not have another season next year, as you're saying. And I think that's a, that's a real possibility. Yeah, let's take a jump here. We're talking. We were talking earlier about the Padres, and I think it was early last month we kind of did a bit of a feature on AJ Preller, and this guy has just done amazing. He's been absolutely amazing. The general manager, he's been with them for a bit. I think he came in around 2014. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think he came in around 2014. And the uh, the thing about it is, expectations are always high with any general manager you bring in. So there's expectations by about 2019. They're starting to scratch her head. He's done it well. He kind of gone up and down a little bit, but he knew things had to happen. So the purse strings were loosened up a bit with the Padres. To kind of give you an idea of how those were loosened up. In 2015 would have been the first year that he he was signed on, uh, meaning Mr. Preller. The payroll was about 109 million dollars, Brandon. 109 million. In 2020 was 172 million dollars. Can you imagine? I mean, that is life changing. You know, you're not doubling it, but dang on, man, that is a hell of an increase. You know, over just a five or six year period. And I'm looking at some projections now for the 2021 Padres salary here from Sports Tracking saying 160 million, but I don't think that's complete. I mean, there's so much movement still going on. I'm sure it'll be higher than that. And I mean, think about who who they brought on, Brandon. I mean, some of the guys, uh, Manny Machado, one of my fans. I, I will never forgive him for that kind of slow walk down to first base. But uh, I thought you were lacking showing some some love for the fans and what you need to be doing as a player. Okay, but who else did they bring on as well? Who was it? 
Uh, they brought in Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, uh, Joe Musgrove, I believe. He, they brought him on as well. Haseon Kim, a really big international prospect. They brought him on. And, I mean, they have all this talent on their team. I would say only $160 million, but that seems like a bargain for all the talent they have. It does. It does indeed. And like I said, I think that number will be higher than that. But even if you look at it as 172 or $180 million, what they, who they are getting on this is just stupendous. So A.J. Preller has done a heck of a job, so much so that while he had a contract that was going to expire in 2022, the Padres said, you know, we ought to say thank you to this guy in, a, in, a, in another way. We're going to go ahead and make him president of baseball operations. And as soon as I heard that, my, my heart just fell. You know, it just, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do? You know, they're, they're elevating this guy. Oh, oh guess what? You're, he's still going to continue to have the responsibilities as a general manager, which is smart. You're, you have somebody who's bringing that kind of talent to your team and making a difference with who's out there on the field. You want to keep them in there. So basically, there's, it sounds like they're just adding another title to it, and they're expanding his contract to 2026. So kudos to you, A.J. Preller, and I wish you continued success. Now, another fellow that you and I talked with, what was it, just last week, I believe, and that was Theo Epstein. Well, yeah. Jeez, man, I tell you what, like I said, this floor shifts beneath your, you know, the ground shifts beneath our feet as we speak. And Theo had uh, taken uh, his leave of the Cubs, I think it's back in November, and said, you know what, I, I'd like to be an owner someday, but right now I'm just going to take a little time off. So, what, about a week ago or so, he's saying, hey, uh, MLB would like to offer you a position as a consultant. We'd like you to go ahead and help us out with some things, look at the rules of the game, et cetera. I thought, oh, well, good. You and I talked about, well, would it be neat if this was a stepping stone for Epstein to become the commissioner? You know, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe Rob Manfred's grooming him. I don't know. Say, so, yeah, please keep the floor moving. It keeps the topics coming in, gives us more to talk about. And Epstein seems like that guy who he's like, man, I want to go on vacation. And when I come back, I'm going to eventually do this. But right now I'm just going to take some time for myself. And then like two days into it, he comes back and he's like, okay, I'm ready for my next thing. Like he can't take a vacation. No, no, I, I couldn't believe it either. So this guy's got too much, you know, going on for him. So even though what we were talking about, he took that new gig with MLB. The next thing that just kind of, you know, didn't completely surprise me. Because he had said he wanted to to be in as an owner. And I saw a Wall Street Journal article the other day. And they said that uh, basically he's joined the Arcto Sports Partners uh, private equity firm. They're going to be looking at buying shares of professional sports teams. So I don't know what that means completely. He's their new executive in res- residence, quote unquote. <laughs> And, but I'm still looking for great things from Theo, man. You're going to be on our, uh, <laughs> our front office hot stove for a while. So we'll see what comes with that. Hopefully he's on our commissioner hot stove here pretty soon. Yeah. There, there's a lot of hot things going out there. One of them we talked about briefly, and I, I still don't have enough information on it, but Ken Griffey Jr. He's, he's now going to be doing something with MLB. Yeah. From the sounds of things, he's going to be. You know, kind of like an advisor to Manfred as well. He's going to be a senior advisor to commissioner. And he's going to work in baseball ops and on youth baseball development. And he is tasked with improving diversity at amateur levels 
which Major League Baseball came out and said last Friday, and that's according to the New York Post. Well, yeah, you know, and, and I mean, and that's 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 good. He has a fresh face. He has a positive energy. You know, he's recognizable, and I think he can certainly make a difference. So I'm really excited to see that, and expect great things from from uh, Mr. Griffey. You know, we we've been talking also about some of the troubles that team owners that come into their lives, and the Dodgers, you know, who've been doing really well. Their owner Frank McCourt, boy, he got it. He got it pretty hard the other day. You know, he's much uh, like the the Glazers owning a couple of teams. He has uh, not just the Dodgers. He's got a soccer team. Yeah. So anyway, looking at McCourt, this team he has in the soccer over in Europe. You know, unlike the Dodgers, the the team it's, I think it's called Marseille or Marseille. His team is eh, it's been there's been a lot of criticism about it. And fans over in Europe, as you and I both know, when it comes to soccer, they have been fierce. And often that ferocity goes out and pours out onto the field, the soccer field. But evidently, this past week, what? they uh, The fans really reached a, a boiling, boiling point. The things were not really going crazy. A bunch of them got together and outside of the team's practice facility. They were throwing smoke bombs, firecrackers, all kinds of little explosive things like that just to make as much noise as possible. It was bad. I mean, they called in the, the police. You know, they said there over 300 protesters had attacked police officers in the process out there. They made 25 arrests. <laughs> Man, this is not the sort of thing you like to hear in sports. And McCourt had a tough time with all this. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. They say, I think he had like, what, three losses in a row the team did. Uh, anyway, just a lot of things that were happening bad with team. And talking about bad behavior, man, this is bad behavior from fa- fans. And I feel for Mr. McCourt, and I'm sure he'll still be happy he's got the Dodgers. It's crazy how different sports fans react around the world to their team, you know, losing. Like in, over there in Europe with soccer, they, they're very passionate about it, as we can see. They'll, they'll riot over their team if they just lose a game. Insane. And then over here, if your team, if your team goes through like a bad couple of years, people just they just don't go to games. They lose interest. <laughs> it's it's quite the different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's it's a religious fervor with some of these folks. It's, it's crazy. Now, I know fans for a lot of teams are who are excited. You know, we we talked about this before because we had some crazy things coming up here in Tampa this week. But uh, an owner with two teams, like uh, the Glazer family, Malcolm Glazer. Now, he owns a soccer team. I think it was, uh, was it Manchester United. He's got some criticism on that too, hadn't he? Yeah, Malcolm Glazer, he bought the team. Manchester United, I think a little after the Bucks won the Super Bowl. I want to say around 05. And, you know, he's since passed on. Now his kids run both the operations. And for a while there, especially when, you know, the Bucks went through really, really dark times around 2010. And... People here really didn't like that they owned Manchester United because they felt like all the money was going towards that, while nothing was going towards the Bucks because they they sucked. Nobody they felt like they were worried about their soccer team over their football team. Yeah, well, those criticisms have fell to the wayside this year. We got some things going on here in Tampa, and one of them is the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl going on in Tampa this weekend, and it is nuts here. It's absolutely insane. 
I was talking with Louis Schiff the other day, the guy at Baseball and the Law. If you ever look on Twitter, he's he's amazing. And he's he's down there with the Marlins. As, he's a fan there. And he was pointing out, he says, Mark, he says, you guys, you got the craziest time. He says, you've got a team that's in the World Series. You've got winners of the Stanley Cup. You've got a team that's going to the Super Bowl. Oh, and by the way, it's in their own freaking hometown, which I think, I don't think it's been there ever, uh, a team in their own hometown. He says, you've got those three things going on, and you can't go to the games. He's right. I mean, very limited number of people can go. And it hurts like I don't even want to talk about to to have that kind of anxiety about not being able to go. But every day, I would take that every day, man, if it meant my teams were there. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day, and we both agreed, hey, I'd rather make it and win it than and not be able to go than be able to go and, and them not make it. And it's a really really is a sign of the times when something so historic such as a team for the first time ever hosting a Super Bowl and playing in it and nobody can go to it. It's limited attendance and you know normal fans can't really go to the Super Bowl anyways because it's so corporate but nobody can go to it. They can't really see it. Well it's yeah exactly but here in Tampa we've had a lot of excitement this year. Uh, There's been a I think the the market, I should say, these teams have been misunderstood. They have been undervalued. And if you talk to a lot of other fans across the country, it's like, yeah, the Rays, uh, you know, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the Bucks, oh, they stink. You know, all that's going on. But they've been misunderstood. They've been undervalued, you know. And and I just don't think people understand, you know, what what it's taken to get here and, and what they're capable of doing. You know, there's there's just a lot of things people don't understand. But luckily, we have you here to explain a lot of things about the game. And it's that time of the show here on Baseball Biz for Stat Rap. Brandon, take it away. What's going on and what's the stat today we're going to talk about? Well, just like I can do a whole show on stats, I can do a whole show on how Tampa fans are misunderstood. <laughs> but that's another topic for another day. And this week, we are talking about velocity and exit velocity. And even though they both are relatively the same, they're both measured differently. We'll start with velocity, which represents the maximum speed of a pitch at any point from its release from, to the time it crosses the plate. And before StatCast, it was performed by PitchFX, and it reported the velocity when it was 50 feet from the back of the plate. And some began using 55-foot measurements to get closer to the release point because the release point, that is where the ball is at max speed most of the time due to physics. And StatCast now can measure it at any point, which is why velocity is measured at any point from release to crossing the plate. Whereas exit velocity is only measured at one point where it's the speed of the ball as it comes off the bat for all batted events, which is outs, hits, and errors, with a higher velocity equaling a higher chance of reaching base because less time for the defense's defense to react. And for pitchers, exit velocity against is used for them, with the better pitchers ranking among league leaders in limiting hard contact. And exit velocity is often used in scouting and even fantasy. Exit velocity is used to indicate future performance with hard hits being considered skill-based 
and conversely for pitchers, where if somebody is struggling statistically, but they're hitting the ball hard, then there's someone who can be looked at as a candidate for breaking out soon. And the same could be said for pitchers conversely. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'm getting all this. Velocity and exit velocity. One's coming and one's going. One's went throwing that ball, and that one's coming right back at you with the exit velocity. Is that, is that that accurate? At least as far as the most basic understanding measurement? Yes. Okay, now let me understand a few other things. Yeah. So the velocity is the maximum speed of the pitch, and evidently the measurement you're saying has been has changed, I guess, simply because of the vendor who was able to, to measure this. And – it went from 50 feet to 55 feet. So I guess that's closer to the time that it actually is released from the pitcher's hand. Is that, that where the measurement has changed? Yeah, they, they wanted it's velocity is, you know, the fastest point that a pitch is, but they try to measure it the closest to the release point because, you know, physics, gravity, all that, that's where it's at its fastest point. I'm glad you cleared that up with physics and gravity and all that, because that's pretty much my <laughs> understanding too. Too, but the, the, the you know, but I hear so much. I I don't hear as much about that. I believe as I do the exit velocity, because that's the word. Probably I'm hearing it more because that's when it's assigned to. Usually I'm hearing with a, a home run has been achieved, and the exit velocity of that ball was X. But you're talking about that big part of it too. You're saying is, is the exit velocity is now. That's the speed, and you're saying that the importance of that is the faster it is, the less likely that a, a player is going to be able to, I don't know, visualize, catch. What 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 is that again? How is that working? So basically, the higher velocity or the harder you hit the pitch, you get a higher chance of reaching base because, you know, because the ball is, the faster the ball, the less time the defenders have to react to the ball. Okay, that's understandable. So that's it. Okay, stat wrap this week, velocity and exit velocity. I hope all you're doing your homework and taking notes. Last week we did spin rate, and we'll have some more goodies for you guys on that. That's from Mr. Brandon Noway, again, from at Sports Blitz Pod. So make sure you can reach out to him if you like there on Twitter, and me, Mark, at the Baseball Biz, And Brandon, I tell you what, man, it's been an exciting week. <laughs> I keep saying you're know, wondering if all season off season is going to be boring, and it certainly was this week. Certainly not. There's just so much happening. You know, some of it is going to be instrumental in teams that are coming up. I mean, you and I looking at the Padres and the Mets and the changes going on there. I think it's going to be very interesting watching them as several other teams as well. But I am really excited about the trades that they've been able to make. Yeah, maybe we'll get a. A Mets Padres NLCS. Down that would be exciting. All right. Well, everybody, well, thank you all again for joining us here on Baseball Biz on yet another week. And you can find us here, obviously, and are on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. We're everywhere. That's just who we are. And we thank you again for joining us today. Special thanks also to X Take RUX for providing the music rocking forward. Thank you, everybody, and we'll take care, and we'll see you again real soon. Go Bucks! Yeah, that was that went really good. <laughs> <laughs>